0: This is Isabel in San Dimas, Conversations with Neighbors. This is a podcast to spark conversations among neighbors about happenings in and around San Dimas. I am Isabel in San Dimas, and I'm happy to be one of your neighbors. Thanks for joining me today. Last week, I took a little holiday break for myself, and hopefully all of you took a break and took time to vote as well. Today I have a special episode we're going to be talking about the history of the citrus industry here in San Dimas. In the past few weeks, in addition to interviewing all of the candidates for city council and researching a bunch of different election issues, I've also been doing some research on the history of the citrus industry in San Dimas, as well as the packing houses. And for today's episode, I have a special interview with Dave Harbin, who is a lifelong Sandy Miss resident. In fact, his parents and grandparents both lived in Sandy Miss and he and his wife still live in San Dimas, and now his kids and even his grandchild live in San Dimas. So this is a family that has been in San Dimas, knows San Dimas very well, um, and I talked with him today about citrus in San Dimas. So just to let you know, I did a lot of research. I um, read quite a number of books and articles. So if you're interested in learning more about where I got my information, I will post the titles of the resources that I followed up on in the show notes today. You can find that at isabelandsandimus.com slash citrus. So before I jump into my interview, I do want to just start by giving a little bit of background into How citrus came to be in San Dimas. So it starts way back in the 1700s. Uh, Oranges arrived in Southern California in the 1770s by Franciscan priests from Mexico. And in about 1804 and 1805, the first uh, citrus trees were planted at Mission San Gabriel. Through the mid-1800s, citrus farms started popping up throughout the LA area. There were 100 orange trees in the LA area by 1856 and by 1874 there were 34,700 orange trees. So that was quite a big jump from 1856 to 1874. And then by 1880, there were 190 92,000 orange trees. By 1895, there were over a million. So, as you can see, from 1856, we started with 100 orange trees in the LA area to over a million by 1895. So, oranges and citrus were really booming in the late 1800s. In Riverside, by 1896, the citrus industry was a million dollar industry. Uh, And that's saying something because a million dollars back then was went a lot further than it does today. In 1880, San Dimas was still considered a pretty small village, township. Um, by 1890, there was a large acreage of orange trees planted in San Dimas. And part of what led to a boom in orange and lemon production in San Dimas were uh, the completion of the railroad, refrigerated boxcars, and irrigation systems that were really pioneered by the Sandimus growers. So all of those factors together led Sandimus to be quite successful in the citrus production. So there are a few different accounts about who planted the first orange orchards in Sandimus. One account said that the first orchard was planted by S.A. Stowall in Charter Oak later followed by William Bowring and the Teague family. Another account says that Saturnino Carrion was the first, followed by the Teague family. Um, either way, there were definitely some prominent characters in the early citrus industry, and these folks who were pioneers in the citrus industry were also very civically engaged in the community as well. So you'll hear if you read or follow the history of Dimas. you'll see a lot of these names overlapping and coming up multiple times. In the early years of citrus, uh, there weren't a lot of sources of water. So at that time, they had to haul water from the mud springs well, which wasn't always enough. And so citrus farming was really risky in the early years until the irrigation really improved. However, By 1886 and 1887, the Los Angeles city and county directory stated, quote, the leading industry in the valley today is and probably always will be fruit growing. Well, we know that's not true, but at the time it did seem to be the case. And in 1892, the first oranges were shipped from Teague Ranch, packed at the Santa Fe station and sent off to their destination. In the beginning, growers were paid very poorly and uh, one person is quoted as saying ruin seemed imminent, Uh, but that ended up not being the case. The citrus growers in the area formed cooperatives or various citrus associations uh, and that helped with the marketing. So in the beginning, it was really hard for individual growers to market their products because you have you know, one person or one family with their product trying to ship all over the U.S. and and sell their product. But uh, if you can imagine that... Maybe all the growers in San Dimas came together and created a cooperative. They had more power in selling their product. And that's kind of the origin of the citrus labels that have become so popular nowadays. That was a marketing tool used by the growers and the different cooperatives to market their product and help stabilize prices. So in Riverside, you had Pachapa Pool Cooperative. You had the Claremont California Fruit Growers Association, which included farmers from San Dimas and Claremont. You had the Southern California Fruit Exchange and the California Fruit Exchange. So, before I get into my interview with Dave, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the packing houses. So, in my research, I learned that at various points in San Dimas's citrus history, there were about five different packing houses, not necessarily all at the same time, but the two most prominent packing houses were the orange and the lemon packing houses. The orange packing house actually started out as being a packing house for oranges and lemons. I believe that this was started by the Claremont Association. so they opened a location in Sandymas on Sandymas Avenue, south of the railroad tracks. Where they packed oranges and lemons. In 1900, the Sandy Miss Citrus Union became incorporated and then they turned into the Sandy Miss Orange Growers Association in 1907. Now, unfortunately, their packing house was destroyed in a fire in December of 1910, and so they rebuilt the orange packing house over. Uh, on Bonita, closer to what is now Eucla, just south of the tracks. And it was there for many, many years until it burned down in, I believe, 1966. Now, the Lemon Packing House was at some point uh, claimed to be the largest packing house in the world, and that was located at uh, what is now Bonita and Cataract on the northwest corner. Uh, That packing house was built in 1908, and it was the last packing house standing in San Dimas in the 1960s. And it was used as a packing house until then. In my conversations with a gentleman named William Massacre, he did some research about the railroads and the packing houses along the Santa Fe tracks. And he, uh, from his research, uncovered that the main packing house building, which is no longer there today, was used is called the packing house and was used for loading uh probably the boxes onto the trains it was right next to the tracks and then there's a smaller building that is still there today in 2020 and that building was used for sorting and packing lemons Uh, a few other buildings that were original to the site still exist today as well and uh, you could see them if you drive by or uh take an aerial view of the packing house property, which is now owned by machinery and equipment. And we'll hear more about this uh, in my interview shortly. So last, I just want to say that, you know, the citrus industry peaked in the 1920s. And by 1929, citrus sales from San Dimas amounted to about 289 Million dollars. So, again, a lot of money for that time. And uh, I'm excited to now jump into my interview with Dave Harbin, who will share with us a little bit more about the citrus industry um, from its early days through um, the times that he remembers. So again, Dave Harbin is a third generation San Dimas resident. He helps paint a picture of how important citrus was to San Dimas through the 1900s. He knows a lot about the citrus industry, not only because of his involvement with the historical society, but also because his parents and grandparents lived here since the 1920s. So Dave starts off with sharing a little family history before jumping into the town's prominent citrus industry. So take a listen. All right, today I'm here with Dave Harbin, a lifelong San Dimas resident, uh, and we are going to talk about the a little bit about the history of the citrus industry in San Dimas and uh, the packing houses and what he knows. I'm happy to pick his brain today. Okay, well,
1: I'm happy to be here.
0: <laughs> Thank right. you for sure. joining me. First, I just want to hear a little bit about what is your background in San Dimas. Obviously, you're a lifelong resident. Tell us... Tell us what that means for you. All right.
1: Well, I was born in 1957 when San Imus was still a small community and even before it was incorporated as a city. Okay. Uh, I've actually lived on the same street my entire life, 62 years on 4th Street here in town. So my parents uh, lived down the street from where we currently live and uh, my mom, uh, God bless her, is still living. She's 94. My dad recently passed away. Uh, My dad had lived here most of his life and came here as a very young child in the early 1920s, so uh, and my grandfather was involved with the community as well as my grandmother, and so I always had a sense of community with, with the involvement that they had through church and uh, you know, civic activities and things like that. So, uh, always, San Dimas has always been a special place to me. Never wanted to leave. Wow. Wait. So, you, your grandparents lived here too? They did. My grandfather was a teacher at Benita High School, the oh old my Benita gosh. High School. And uh, so they lived either in San Dimas or Laverne, back and forth, until after World War II, 1946, they built a house on 5th Street. And then they stayed there the rest of their lives. And uh, and my parents built a house just directly across the alley on 4th Street. Okay. And so uh, that's where I grew up. And uh, my dad owned a business here in town at one time, and uh, my grandfather owned a business.
0: Okay, so... I'm just trying to count. So that's with your kids and now your grandkids. That's five generations in San Dimas. And I think
1: my kids feel the same way about San Dimas (laughs) where it's, you know, they don't want to leave. I mean, it's it's really just... It's family. A comfortable you know,
0: community. A and
1: Great place to live. Yeah. A great place to grow up. And So when I grew up, you know, there was still some of the citrus industry was still here. There were still groves within a couple of blocks of uh-huh. where we're at today. You know? Wow. So I can't imagine. So
0: from your grandparents to your parents to you, your whole family has kind of seen the transformation of San yeah. Dimas over probably over 100 years.
1: Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. Because uh, they came here... I think in 1923 or 24. Uh-huh. And so it's nearly a hundred years oh ago that gosh. they came here. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. That in and of itself is interesting. We could do a whole oh. show about <laughs> your family tree.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and my grandfather was a member of the first city council, served oh, on really? the council for six years oh, uh, wow. from 1960 to 66. So when I grew up, that was that was an influence toward me, you know, for, you know to help give back to the community. I always felt proud that he served on the on the city council. And, nice. You know, and so then I think that kind of led to the, how, how I grew up and loved San Dimas and was always interested in the history of San Dimas. And then, you know, got involved with the historical society.
0: Nice. So, okay. So uh, what is your involvement with the historical society now? And in well, the past?
1: now I'm just a volunteer. I'm, I've, okay. you know, for over 30 years, I I've on and off have been a board member. I've been a past president a couple of times. Um, uh, because I do love it. I, I mean, I've been involved with a lot of different organizations in San Dimas, but that one really has always held my heart and, mm. and I've always loved that. So uh, it's a great group and I'm, proud to have been a part of that you know it's hard to believe because I started when I was in my 20s uh-huh. now I'm in my 60s and I'm kind of like 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 this old timer that knows <laughs> knows things well I don't know really how much I know but you know I remember things and my parents and my grandparents talking about different things so and then of course my grandparents they knew a lot of people from that era and I got to know them as a as a child and Uh, They, You know, some of the movers and shakers of San Dimas that Mm -hmm. really had an influence on the town and the way it developed and, you know, the fact that we became a city, Mm -hmm. uh, they had a lot to do with that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, like you said, you... You've become a, quote, old timer, but then that's why I'm here sitting with you, because I started doing some research at the Historical Society about the citrus industry and the packing house. They gave me a lot of books to read and, you know, resources, and um, some of the uh, workers there referred me to talk with you. They said, oh, you should speak with Dave Harvin about the citrus industry and the packing house, um, because they obviously know that you're knowledgeable
1: about that. Well, you know, I'm I am I know something about it. <laughs> I can't say I'm a real expert, but I do remember it, you know, the fact that when I was a small kid there were still lemon and orange grows around and I remember the packing houses I I remember when the lemon or the orange packing house burned I was you know about nine years old when that burned and so I do remember that Mm -hmm. Uh, it kind of was a one of those things that everybody came downtown to to watch it I mean we were all kind of stunned yeah uh, so
0: wow okay well let's start You know, wherever you think the beginning is, you know, either from your childhood memories or if you know anything from further back from what your grandparents or parents told you. What what can you tell me about, you know, the citrus industry
1: in San Dimas, what it was like in the beginning? Well, you know, know, I think the main thing is... uh people don't really realize what an impact the citrus industry had on our, not only our community, but most of the communities along the foothills here. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, it was by far the biggest industry in the area, mm-hmm. and, you know, from really from the 18, late 1880s up until the, certainly up until World War II uh, it was. And then of course, after the war, things started changing, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, the we went through, you know, a, a a time of growth, um, you know, when it first started out, it was small and they shipped the fruit, was processed, you know, out of the community. And later then uh, outside entities would have a packing house here in town. And as things grew, then, you know, San Dimas was big enough that they built their own packing houses. So they built the lemon packing house and and the orange packing house too. So okay. um, anybody that was important and, and uh, had a stake in the community, they are somehow are involved with, in the citrus industry, mm-hmm. you know, at least up into the 20s and things. I mean, if you look, go back and look at the names, who, who was, you know, on the board of directors and who was the manager of the packing house, things like there are people that if you do any research, there are people that were involved in a lot of different things. You know, most of them, you know, were somewhat wealthy um, and uh, but were real involved in San Dimas, you know, from, you know, churches um, you know, to civic. community events, civic events, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. You know, maybe they were members of the Masonic Temple, founding members of that, or members of the American Legion and things like, like that. They were, you, you can just, you can read the names and it's just a, boy, it's a really overlap. movers and shakers.
0: Well, it seems like uh, what I read was that the citrus industry was really like in in the time of its heyday, just like the way of life here. It, and mm-hmm. that, there was just this, uh, overlap between, you know, the community and, you know, like you said, the movers and shakers of early San Dimas and the citrus industry, they were like
1: really, uh, one in the same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean so much of the, you know, what we still have, you know, like the Walker house. I mean, that really is, it's all part of the citrus industry. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that was built to bring people out here and, and hopefully sell them land. And, and you know, they're trying to promote Southern California as this great place to live. And you can grow, you know, have a citrus ranch and, you know, make it sound really, you know. Enticing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, I'm probably way better than it really was. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's trying to sell land. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, the the fact that the Santa Fe and then later on the Southern Pacific Railroad came through here. And uh, so mm-hmm. it was that's what they were trying to do. All connected. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I read that at some point there were five packing houses in San Dimas. Well, I don't
1: know that there were five all at one time. Okay. But, you know, they started out that m- most of the fruit was processed through the Claremont um, Packing yes. Association. Mm-hmm. So uh, they had a packing house here at one time. And Here, then, in, San here in San Dimas. Okay. And then you know there were smaller packing houses that were built, and you know, and all of them were built along the Santa Fe Railroad, so okay. that they could have access to you know transportation, easy shipping. Sure. So uh, you know, as things you know change and as the industry grew, then you know bigger houses were built, and uh, or, or they became an association within our own community okay so we split off from Claremont and you know then they they built the Orange San Dimas Lemon Association San Miss Orange Growers Association and then they built these large you know large packing houses
0: okay so there might have been five at different times but the the two main ones at least that you remember and that are probably among the most
1: prominent were the orange right. and the lemon ones and those were the the two last of the, the big packing houses you know Sandemus also had its own fruit exchange um, because they were shipping so much fruit, both the lemon and the, and the orange house uh, got together and they had a, their own exchange. So they were trying to, you know, sell fruit and, and as a co-op kind of thing. I mean, they're all part of Sunkiss, but, you know, they were more focused on, on just the packing houses here. So. You know downtown on Exchange Place, mm-hmm. that little street next to Bank of America. Mm-hmm. That's where. That's why it's called Exchange Place because the fruit exchange was in there.
0: Oh, interesting! So it was
1: put in there like early 1910s. I think around 1912 or something. Okay. They opened that. So they were just trying to you know find ways to market their the fruit mm-hmm. uh, and make. a Bigger profit, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. To sell.
0: So the orange packing house that you mentioned that burned down in the was it in the fifties?
1: Nineteen sixty six.
0: Okay. That was that was closer to Eucla, Benita and Eucla, right It there. was.
1: It was a little bit further uh, west from the where the lemon packing house is now. Okay. So which of course now is machinery and equipment mm-hmm. corporation. So it was further down and it was actually on the south side of the, the railroad tracks of the Santa okay. Fe tracks. Okay. And so you had it here and the tracks came down and continued to the east and then the lemon packing house was on the north side of the tracks, further closer to downtown. Okay.
0: And and that's at the current M&E property. Right. Okay. And um the orange packing house from what you were kind of describing, it was pretty a large
1: Yeah, it was a large building. Yeah, Yeah. I'd say it wasn't as big as the Lemon House is. Okay, was, but it was a good sized building. Yeah. Okay, but and the Lemon House was even bigger. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, At one time, the Lemon Packing House was. It was the largest lemon packing house in the world. Mm-hmm. It, they had a sign up on, on the side of the building that said that at one time. So, oh, really? Yeah. I don't know if it's really true, but they obviously <laughs> felt that it was true and they had the sign up and everything. So it was considered at one time and advertised as the largest lemon packing house in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh was one of, one of the very first to put in uh, um, refrigerated cooling, you know. Right. So, you know, normally those old packing houses were built over a wash, so the cool air would flow down underneath the building and mm-hmm. cool the the uh, the lemons or oranges. But, you know, they were the first to put in, they're one of the first to put in refrigeration. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of firsts here in San Dimas. So.
0: Yeah, and I think I read that, you know, some of those first technologies kind of helped make San Dimas the like center of the citrus industry yeah. in the world like yeah. some of those innovations were really important to yeah. really
1: putting San Dimas on the map you know what we see now today is just a, a portion of what it was mm-hmm. the, the smaller of the two main buildings is what remains and then the the large building that had a big basement is is really what the where the pit is now that's on the south side of the current building. Okay. So I think that was the main packing house was the building that's actually gone now. And on the north side was, I know that there's offices in that part of the building. And uh, I've got an interesting story about that too. The office part, there's a, a large vault in there that uh-huh. the historical society went into about 25 years ago and explored and brought out some documents and things. That, oh, that As far as I know, there's still still all that in there.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. In one of those buildings? In the that's building in that's there?
1: that remains there. So you and a couple members of the Historical Society went in there about 20 years ago and yeah. found... Well, so all we did is we got in, And at that time, 20 years ago, it was still machinery and equipment. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, we got permission. I went and talked to the the president of the corporation, and, and he allowed just a few of us to go into the vault. They had the combination to the vault and were able to open it. Wow! And so we went into the vault. And what it is, it's a, a, a like a pit. Uh, it's, as I recall, it's I I think it's brick lined, as I remember, it has a mezzanine. Multi story mezzanine, and you'd walk down a ladder and you'd go into these mezzanines, and there's all these ledger books mm-hmm. that have information about, you know, what the crops, how much, how many boxes of wow. fruit was, um you know, brought and harvested. It's so like all the bookkeeping, yeah, all that. And so, right outside that vault was the, their main office, mm-hmm. and we have pictures in the Historical Society archives that show. You know, people sitting there uh, at a desk, and in the background, you actually see the vault door.
0: Wow, yeah. that's neat. That was very neat. Did you expect that when you you know we didn't vault? know?
1: I, you know, when I talked to uh, the gentleman that was in charge, I mean, he he said that there was some some stuff in there, mm-hmm. but I you know we really didn't know what to expect, what would be in there, or not. Mm-hmm. and so when we got in and we started pulling out these these ledgers, they're not as complete and self-explanatory as you'd hope they'd be, (laughs) you know, I'm sure to them, they could read them and figure out what, what everything meant to us. It was like, maybe you had a a book from 1912 or something that lists all these different tracks of land, Mm -hmm. but it's hard to put those together with like people and things. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we did, we did bring out a number of those. There's hundreds of them in there.
0: Oh, so a lot of them are mostly. Oh, they're still
1: there. there yeah and
0: you took some for the we took some for the society. historical
1: society and uh you know hoping that we could do something with them well it's it, it's been difficult to do much <laughs> with them so uh, we still have some of those books you know yeah. uh, in the archives uh but the rest of them are there for posterity i mean you know if anything if if redevelopment of that uh you know property happens mm-hmm. that would be one thing that uh, needs to be you know definitely um Looked at and, and preserve preserved. Preserved, you know, maybe the the state museum over in I think in uh, Redlands or something. There's a, a museum there that the state runs that might be interested. in, mm-hmm. You know, that's devoted to s- the citrus industry.
0: Yeah, and someone who could really uh,
1: study, right, and decipher what it all means. Exactly, because yeah. I I doubt that there are is any of that left any place. I mean, I doubt in Southern California there's anything similar to that. Wow, that's incredible. I know. I
0: I mean, I've been to the Historical Society and, you know, seen some of the newspapers from like the 1920s. Just kind of encountering those old documents is just so... They're very brittle. They're so brittle. But it's it's also pretty, um, at least for me, the experience was so... um, It brings up this nostalgia, even though I wasn't around at that time, but you just feel like you're transported to a new time and place and it's really amazing.
1: Yeah. And I know the people are volunteers that come in that scan those documents. Uh, the newspapers, I mean, they spend a lot of the time just, oh, look at that, you know, <laughs> oh, you, you know, reading them. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it, you know, they're maybe not as fast as they could be, but they're they're gathering all this information themselves. They yeah. find it the, the same way. Fascinating, yeah, for
0: sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, so that's a more recent memory that you have of the packing house. Mm-hmm. Do you have any memories growing up or f- with your family? Well, the you know,
1: house? I, I remember when the fire happened, I remember that we, we went downtown, we drove downtown and we, there were, when we got out, there were people all over, you know, surrounding the building and, you know, just watching it burn. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was, you know, kind of a, a tragedy, uh, at the time. And we all felt bad that it was burning. And it's kind of like a l- loss of, you know, more innocent time of San Dimas. Mm-hmm. And, but, uh, you know, the thing that, as a kid, that I remember most about it was that we were all so impressed that the KTLA a Channel 5 helicopter was there, and they were flying over, you know. So I think we went home and watched it on the news, oh, wow. you know, that, that there was this fire. And I I don't know why, as a, as a kid, we all thought, my gosh, that's the Channel 5 helicopter. Well, you know? of course. That was a big deal. Kids you know? love that yeah. kind of stuff. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, that was sad. And then, of course, after that, I think the fire department had something to do with— uh, the final demise of the lemon packing house because I think that they felt that you know, all those things were um, there was a high degree of probability that they were gonna burn, you know, because the oils in the in the citrus and everything that impregnates the wood and the buildings and they're old and they're dried out, but they have that oil in there that they're very flammable. So I, I think there was a drive by this by the fire department that we should, you know, remove the lemon packing house before it burned as well Mm -hmm. so it fortunately didn't burn but they they ended up selling that large building and the wood and it was dismantled and the wood went to mexico for building materials okay
0: yeah yeah i did hear that that the lemon packing house structure was taken down or dismantled because of the recommendation that it was basically a big fire Fire hazard hazard. yeah yeah um which is too bad but um you know they had they yeah. had to make the decision right. that they had to at that time you yeah. know especially what happened with the orange packing house yep. how devastating that was yeah. so
1: was that around the time that the citrus industry was well the citrus industry you know really in our area here from like the late 1880s until i mean the heyday was the, the end of the 1920s okay. after that it kind of there was a decline okay and certainly after world war 2 you know, then it really started to decline quickly, you know, and I think a lot of that had to do with there were so many service, servicemen that had been here in Southern California from, you know, that lived back East and, you know, how nice our weather is and, and everything. And so, you know, people just started moving to Southern California. Mm -hmm. And so property just eventually became so valuable Um, that along with the, the decline of the citrus, um, you know, there were bugs and, and things that were, uh, causing a decline. And, uh, so I think they finally, you know, it was just a matter of time and they are building housing tracks. And so, you know, there were still growers here, like I said, into the sixties when I was a kid, uh, but the packing houses by that time, it all closed mm. the lemon packing house. I believe closed around 1960. They, they, there was still some operations there until I think around 1963 or four, um, but all the fruit got transported. The lemons, I think, went to Corona. Mm-hmm. The oranges in, that were being uh, you know, produced in the area, I think they went to Ontario and they were processed there. Mm. Uh, so, you know, there's, it was just the whole area was, uh, you know, the, the total number of acreage was just declining so quickly that mm-hmm. they just shipped it out of the area to process it.
0: I see. So really, um, in addition, like you said, to just the... I guess, agricultural challenges of citrus, like the insects or whatever diseases that could impact the groves. Mm-hmm. Another big cause of the decline was just kind of the population growth yeah. Yeah. and the value of the land. It wasn't valuable for the citrus farmers to right. continue to grow fruit when you could sell the property and make a lot more money yeah.
1: for housing.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There was just such a demand for land that... uh, In sunny Southern
0: California. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, it just kind of disappeared. But, you know, even as a kid, like where the park is down here by uh, the Civic Center, where we have music in the park and Mm -hmm. all that. When I was a kid, that was a grove Mm -hmm. uh, where Circle K is over there Mm -hmm. off of Walnut. Those were... That was a a citrus grove in there. And so there there were some still around, spread out throughout town.
0: But Uh, not to the... uh, peak that yeah not was like it in was the 20s yeah okay do you you know now you know we're here in 2020 you have your kids your grandkids do you get nostalgic for that time
1: well i you know <laughs> i think we all tend to do that you mm-hmm. know go back to when we were kids and things seem more simple maybe they really weren't <laughs> but as when you're young things seem simple and and you know different than they do now so yeah, yeah. i i do uh you know then to hear my parents and grandparents talk about it and and all that they used to, you know I used to hear stories about uh when they was smudge you know mm. uh, which was a big deal and uh, you know, we, I don't know how we can be nostalgia about that because it was so, such a dirty, you know, way of trying to preserve the, the fruit during cold spells, but, uh,
0: Well, talk more about that. Cause I didn't know. So I'm new to San Dimas. I just moved here in the past few years. I didn't know what a smudge pot was oh. until I
1: read this book. You've got a couple of them in the museum downtown. Yeah. So yeah, so, yeah the, those smudge pots, I can remember my dad talking. He He's he smudged, you know, a few times when mm-hmm. he was a teenager in the 1930s. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's just what it is, is just a small, you know, gas-fired heater mm-hmm. that they spread out throughout the groves when the temperature was going to drop below freezing. Mm-hmm. That is just to try to warm up the air and protect the fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, so those things were very dirty. I mean, that contributed a lot to the smog of Southern California at wow. that time. Uh, so my dad used to say that when they were smudging, that you had to make sure the windows were all shut in the house. You couldn't hang, you know, your, your laundry out on the line to dry because it would just be covered with this greasy oil, um, that would, you know come out of the atmosphere, it just kind of fell on everything. And so it was really, really dirty. And not only that, it was real dangerous. I mean, there were a lot of people that, um, you know, that were working in the the fields. And of course, this was mo- mainly at nighttime when mm-hmm. it was coldest. And so there were, you know, I think they employed a lot of young people to <laughs> refill the, the uh, smudge pots with oil. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, they'd be dragging around these large tanks behind a truck or something. And and then they'd have this large, uh, um, bucket that they'd fill the, uh um, smudge smudge pots with and so those uh, they'd get that on their clothing and if they weren't real careful i mean they could catch fire you know from heaters. and so people were burned and you know they'd have to they send people home that were soaked with oil so that they change their clothes and things like that but my dad said it was not a very fun job he only did it a few times he said it was you know Way, a lot of work. Can you imagine, you know, there'd be thousands of those things burning. San Dimas was considered a frost-free belt here until 1913. In January of 1913, there was a hard freeze that... You know, really uh, cause a lot of damage, mm-hmm. uh, especially due to the lemons, because lemons are more susceptible to cold weather than oranges are. Mm-hmm. So it, I understand it took a few years for the lemons to recover from that. Mm-hmm. Oranges were quicker, but okay. uh, yeah. So,
0: and after that, did they see more
1: freezes after the? Yeah, there were freezes on and off, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, from when it's kind of started in the 1880s until 1913, they never had a hard freeze. So they like thought that. they were. Yeah, so they thought, oh, well, we're, you know, we're safe, safe here and all that. But obviously, you know, and then they, not, not forever.
0: They were devastated that one yeah, year. And yeah, that caused a lot.
1: Right. A lot of people lost a lot of money. And, you know, it took years for people to recover from mm-hmm. that. So, you know, they. They said back in the in the thirties, twenties, and thirties that a ten acre, uh, you know, citrus ranch would support a family if somebody had a part time job. So I mean, it wasn't a way to get rich or anything.
0: Yeah, you know, it's hard you work.
1: A, yeah, it's hard work, and and uh, but uh, you know, I think people enjoyed it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they must have, or they wouldn't have done it. But do you know anything about the colony? Was
0: that where? Uh, like the
1: workers stayed. Yeah, so uh, where the bowling alley is today? Okay. The the both the lemon association and the, and the orange association got together, and because they were trying to stabilize their workforce, uh, they built houses in there. Mm-hmm. And so they were small, you know, concrete homes, and then uh, the workers would rent that the buildings from. The association. Mm-hmm. And so I think they built somewhere around 25 of those little small houses down there. Uh, so when I grew up, that was called the Mexican colony, which mm. may not be politically correct today, but that's what it was called. And that's what, as far as I remember, all the people that I knew, older people, that's what they called it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but it's been called the colony. Well, uh, later on, there was some law that was passed that didn't allow, you know, a company Uh, To rent housing as as a condition to work. And so eventually they sold those little houses off to people. Mm -hmm. But I can remember when I was a kid, I mean, the colony was still there. Really? I can remember driving through and it was dirt streets and, uh, you know, some of the houses had been fixed up, you know, fairly nice and others not so much. Okay. Uh, And of course, then that was all redeveloped later on, probably in the I would say in the early '80s or something, it was all torn down. So um, were they like individual houses? They were. They were just okay. small individual houses. And there people- again, we have pictures of the colony in the historical society. Okay, and, and the workers would rent them They'd out. They'd rent them at first. You know, they could rent them, but they had to work for the yeah. the one of the lemon houses. And then as that, a became, <laughs> that became illegal. illegal. Right. So um, you said they were called the Mexican colonies, but so was it mostly foreign workers or? It was yeah a lot of foreign workers yeah mm-hmm. so I think way back they had mainly Japanese pickers mm-hmm. and so they had they had places around town or around the area they call it the district that were called Jap camps and so they were they were camps where the Japanese workers lived and they, but they were close enough and strategically placed so that they could ride their bicycles mm. to the groves to pick fruit and things okay. uh, Japanese were they were they wanted to always better themselves. It seemed like so that they would you know work for a while and they got enough money. I think then they went into other businesses. Move on, yeah, yeah. And so it went through. You know, there was different times and different periods, uh, and workers came from different parts of the country, mm-hmm. different parts of the world. I think at one time from Jamaica, they had a lot of workers from Jamaica that uh, were here. And then, uh, but I think, you know, later on, it was predominantly Mexican workers uh, that came from Mexico and would be here during the picking season.
0: Mm -hmm. Were there times or were a lot of locals involved in the picking
1: as well? Well, I think, I think way back it was, you know, as it grew and got bigger and and it was a bigger industry, they needed more people. Okay. You know, and. Oranges, you know, they really are just picking those once, basically once or maybe twice a year. But lemons, you can pick those all year round. Mm-hmm. And so there's a demand, I think, pretty much around all the time for some level of, you know, okay.
0: uh, people. So there. kind of a mix. So yeah. locals, but then when they really needed a lot more workers, there was like an
1: influx I think of so. yeah. um, foreign or international mm-hmm. um, pickers. Yeah. Um, Oh. You know, there were, you talked about other packing houses. There were other packing houses. There were. There was a marmalade factory here in town.
0: I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, what do you know about that? Was that around when you were a kid? No, that
1: was gone. I think that was left to like around 1926. Okay. Um, and I think it left because there was a lot of complaints from the citizens, of San Dimas, about the smell. Because <laughs> they used to dump all the, you know, the whatever was left over in the wash out behind the building. And so when the wind blew, that blew it back into town and people really were disgusted with the smell okay so eventually that moved I think over to Ontario but you know those byproduct uh, uh, there was a lot of byproducts that came from citrus um, you know uh, medical things and and cleaners and all all kinds of different Mm -hmm. things so you know it wasn't just the fruit I mean Any byproduct you know, juices, juice concentrates and Mm -hmm. things like that. Pretty much it was just marmalade they made here. Okay. And then those byproduct things were, you know, whatever's left over, the bad fruit, the rotten fruit, things like that. I don't think they threw very much away. It got used in some fashion, you Mm -hmm. know. That's good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I've heard, or I don't know if I read or heard from someone that when the citrus groves were
1: here, like in the springtime,
0: springtime when everything was blooming, it just smelled like citrus everywhere. I know my
1: mom talks about that. She grew up on a a citrus ranch down in Covina. Uh And so she always talks about that. She, she, that's the one thing she remembered most is that in springtime, Especially in spring, early spring, uh, the orange blossoms. They said she said it was just you know incredibly mm-hmm. uh, strong the smell. I can't so, imagine, but that sounds lovely. Yeah, <laughs> and I can remember when I was a kid driving down what's Arrow Highway now. You know, I can. There were groves down there, mm-hmm. and I can remember that smell like yeah. that. That how 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 what good it smelled. Gosh, mm-hmm. it was great. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean. I I as we're talking, I wonder what we as a city could do to honor that history you know hey, everyone should plant a citrus tree yeah. at their
1: house or something well you know we the historical society tried to honor that by planting the grove first at the martin house mm-hmm. um, and then later it was moved down to the Rhodes park mm-hmm. uh, so there are there are some citrus trees down there to try to kind of honor that yeah thing. yeah it's, it's unfortunate that the sandimas unlike laverne they were able to keep you know a park that became, you know, that was the a citrus, yeah, park, yeah, that yeah. was a citrus operation. So they still have a grove there and people kind of get a sense of what it was all about. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately we don't have that you yeah. know, here.
0: Speaking of that, I was going to ask you what your thoughts are about the lemon packing house. If you think, I don't know, that could be used for anything to... Well, I'll
1: tell you, there's a number of, Of my friends and I, we've talked about that for years. I'm good friends with Jeff Templeman, who's, you know, was a council member for 20 years. So that's something he and I've talked about. And he was one of those people that went down into this vault at the Lemon House. So I think ever since then, we've talked about, gosh, you know, it's too bad we can't somehow or another develop that you know, property and, and retain that building and and the ambiance of that whole citrus industry and everything, you mm-hmm. know. So I've always been a proponent of trying to save that if we could. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from what I understand now, you know, there's a developer that's interested in trying to develop that and thinks they may be able to utilize the, you know, the building and I'm all in favor. And I think the city should just, you know, keep their hands off of it and let it develop and see where it goes. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's easy for people to say, oh, nobody can do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nobody, you know, who's got the money, who can do that, who, you know, that won't work. Well, you don't know until you really let it have some time to incubate Mm -hmm. and and see if it's something that can happen. Yeah. Uh, So I I hope that the city would just kind of keep, you know, have hands off. And then see where it goes.
0: Yeah, like you said, we don't know what's possible. And right, and packing houses all around the region have been preserved and yeah. refurbished, and with monuments or memorials to the mm-hmm. citrus industry and the history that
1: was made there. Yeah. So, and for us, I mean, Claremont's a great example of, mm-hmm. of the, what somebody did with that mm-hmm. you know so yeah i think the city should just wait and see and you know this isn't something that's going to take a few months or something i mean this take could take a few years, years. Yeah. but you know machinery and equipment's been there for over 50 years mm-hmm. uh you know the packing house has been gone for longer than that so you know i don't see that there's any rush to you know to change something mm-hmm. or, um so that's that's where i hope yeah. it goes i i hope they can save it
0: yeah so a dream that one day, you know, someone with a lot of money and a good heart would come and turn that packing house into maybe like a, a living memorial to the citrus industry in San Dimas or whatever it could be. Yeah. That
1: And maybe it's a restaurant or maybe it's shops or and maybe it goes along with the synergy that maybe it and the across the street, you know, those developments work together. together, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. I I just hope I hope something can happen and we can save it. Yeah, so, it's a lot of history there.
0: Yeah, and I I think a lot of people in the community would ag- would agree with you. But you have for one have really lived here. You have your roots here, and I think it obviously means a lot to you and your family you know because Mm -hmm. like you said your your father was in the fields doing that hard work yeah um you just painted such such a picture for me i can imagine your dad i don't even know what he (laughs) looks like but i can imagine this teenage kid
1: yeah doing the smudge pots yeah can you imagine yeah
0: yeah that's incredible I'm having a lot of fun learning about all of this history. I was never interested in history in general or learning about the beginnings <laughs> of my own town where I grew up. But living here in San Dimas, I don't know. I just think there's
1: such a richness that I'm
0: excited to
1: explore. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it's a great place. I mean, I can't say enough. I, I would not want to live anywhere else. Yeah. Hope to, you know, end my days here, too. So, yeah, it's great. Good place. Yeah. A lot of fond memories.
0: Great. Well, um, thanks so much for chatting today. Oh, I really you appreciate sure. it.
1: Well, and if I can say one last thing, I'd yeah. like to just encourage people to, that want to find out more about this. Go to the Walker House and up on the second story. The Historical Society has, you know, its offices, archives and a museum there. Uh, there's a lot of pictures out on display. But if you really want to do some in-depth uh, research, you know, we can provide you know, help with that. Mm-hmm. Everything's digitized. And, uh, you know, it's quite, for a small community, the Historical Society's, uh, you know, done very well.
0: Well, I'll echo that, too, because I have learned so much from, uh, you know, going to the Historical Society. The first time I went was just in November, and I've been there like three or four times since. I've learned a ton of stuff and just so impressed by the archives. And people there are so willing to help educate the community mm-hmm. and teach you about the history and and also I, I'll say you know uh, let me books yeah, and there you go <laughs> uh, you know, let me take home photos on my flash drive. And, and even the library has a lot of good resources too. You know, I checked yep. out some books there about the history of sandy Dimas. So there's definitely, um, resources if this is something that you're interested in. Oh, there is.
1: Yeah. A lot. So, you know, I just say too, that, you know, the historical society is a hundred percent volunteer organization. There's no paid staff. So everybody you've ever met there, you, whether it's, you know, during, A Friday, Saturday night when the museums open or, you know, on Tuesdays and Thursdays when the archives and museums open, those are all volunteers. So those are just people that care enough to to donate their time. And, uh, you know, we're always looking for more volunteers. And, uh, you know, we're looking for new members that that's how we, how, the, how you keep the operation exactly going. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, I did just encourage anybody that's interested is support the historical society. Yeah.
0: And especially the young people out there listening, because they think it's, uh, uh, an
1: opportunity to really get to know your community. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how much I enjoy working down there in the museum on either a Friday or Saturday night. we're open, you know, almost every Friday and Saturday night throughout the year. And, uh, you know, just have people come in that are interested and want mm-hmm. to know some of that history. It's, it's so much fun to talk to people about that and mm-hmm. show them the things that we have in the uh, museum and the archives.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Well, I hope to, keep coming as my kids grow up and make sure that they know the history of San Miss yeah. too. Oh, great. <laughs> awesome. As I wrap up this episode about the citrus industry, I want to read a poem about the decline of the industry. This was written back in 1956 by C.E. Groninger, and it's called From Budwood to Bulldozer. I am the citrus industry, and I guess I'm on my way. I came here 70 years ago. They said I'd come to stay. I chased the coyotes from the brush, the rabbits from their den. They said, we'll make the desert bloom. They cleared the brush, and then, from budwood to bulldozer, the title of this page, I know whereof I speak, my friend. I occupied the stage. I'm planted row on row for miles and miles until my age is five or six when I begin to bear. My output grew in volume, and someone always said, this thing is getting overdone, we'll wind up in the red. But ways were found to advertise and stimulate the trade, so business kept on booming, and no one seemed afraid. Now comes the villains, one by one, to attack me in the dark, the first was nematodes so small, but they sure left their mark. They choked my feeder roots, I would have starved to death. And then came smog and quick decline, and they shut off my breath. Now the growers soon discovered from experience and brains I was not paying for my keep, so economy took the reins. Then came the big bulldozer, so powerful and strong. He pushed aside the industry. "'He did, sir, right or wrong. "'So the very ground where I was born "'that blossomed like a rose "'is now blacktop and houses "'and mortgages cover those. "'The great big citrus packing plants "'have long since shut their doors. "'The rafters overhang with bats "'and rats run on the floors. "'The little girls, as they walk by, "'look at the crumbling shack "'that used to be the citrus house "'where Grandma used to pack.' In this parade of industries, I guess we take our place with walnuts, grapes, and apricots as progress we must face. So just like individuals, as through this life we trudge, just do the best with what you have and let time be the judge. Thanks for listening today. I'm interested to hear If you learned anything new about Sandimus' citrus history by listening to this episode, uh, was there anything I missed? What do you think about the lemon packing house that still exists today? It's not the main packing house structure, but it is one of the original structures, several of the original structures. Uh, Do you think those buildings should be preserved? Why or why not? Let's keep the conversation going at isabelandsandimus.com slash citrus. And now for updates and upcoming events. First, I just want to congratulate all of those uh, people who ran, uh, regardless of the outcome of the election. I want to just congratulate everyone who ran for city council and mayor and, you know, all the candidates across the board in L.A. County uh, running I can't imagine is an easy thing to do. So hats off to you for getting out there, putting yourself out there, doing the work. Well done. Uh, And also congratulations to our locally elected officials. That includes our new mayor, Emmett Badar, reelected council member, John Ebener, and our newest council member, Eric Weber. The results through LA County are not exactly final at the time of this recording, but the results, I would say, are semi-official. The numbers might change, but it's looking like the people who were elected are going to remain the same. So congratulations to all of you. Also, uh, it looks like Measure SD, the sales tax increase failed here in San Dimas, in case you were wondering. I want to let people know About uh, a City Council and Planning Commission study session that will be happening on March 10th at 5 o'clock at City Hall. This study session has to do with the downtown moratorium and zoning. It also includes the packing house property at ME. So if you care about these issues, I encourage you to attend. These meetings are pretty important, not as important as the public hearings that will be coming up, but still pretty important as far as making sure that the city council and planning commission know where you stand. So, please come on out if uh, this matters to you. And lastly, on March 12th from 5:30 to 7:30 at the Stanley Plummer building, the Gold Line will be hosting a community open house. There's no planned program, but you can come in at any time during those hours to talk with the Gold Line team and have your questions answered. Now, a uh, personal tidbit about myself. As you know uh, from my previous episode, um, my husband Phil and I started the nobighotel.com uh, effort to stop large Hotel from coming in at Bonita and Cataract. And uh, now we have partnered with some other members of the community for um, SaveThePackingHouse.com. So, you know, in light of all the research that I've been doing about the packing house, uh, you know, we have really come to understand the historical and cultural significance of the packing house to the community of San Dimas, the history of San Dimas. It adds a lot of richness. And, and really, the citrus industry was what put San Dimas on the map. So um, if this is something that you're interested, uh, I will just leave it there. Sa- Save SaveThePackingHouse.com. And the one thing that I want to say about that is that, you know, in the past couple years, I've been getting involved with neighborhood issues and with this podcast. And, you know, in doing these, I'd say, grassroots efforts, I've talked to a lot of neighbors and people sometimes feel discouraged or like they don't have much power when it comes to making changes in our community. Sometimes people feel that the city council have their... Minds made up and set, but I just want to say that together we can really get a lot done. And so if these are issues that matter to you, I encourage you to have your voice heard, speak up, don't be afraid, because, um, like we, you know, did with the No big hotel effort. We as a community came together, and I believe that our council did listen to us. So I I do think there's hope. I do think there's strength in numbers, and I encourage you to get involved if there are things in this community that you believe are worth fighting for. So thanks for joining me. I am Isabel and Demas. Before I go, uh, I'm going to encourage you to connect with one of your neighbors, and that's me. I'm going to encourage you to visit my website, savethepackinghouse.com. You may or may not agree, and that's totally fine, but just check it out. See what it's about. Um, and if you are interested, then you can sign up for more information on the website, sign the petition, and even consider forwarding this information off to a friend. As always, I invite you to drop me a line on my website, Isabellandsandemus.com. If there's anything you'd like to hear about in a future episode, Uh, thanks for joining me today. I look forward to talking with you next time. Bye-bye.